0: Welcome to the Care Exchange, the Skills for Care podcast for managers in social care. I'm Pierre Raffaier-Burton.
1: And I'm Wendy Adams.
0: So today on the podcast we have Ben Ashton. He is the founder and manager director of Good Oaks Home Care. This is a home care organisation in Poole in Dorset. Good Oaks Home Care also has a number of franchise offices across England.
1: Ben started his career in social care as a frontline worker in his early 20s. And following that experience, he started Good Oaks Home Care with his business partner when he was just 22 years old.
0: Yeah, so looking forward to chatting to Ben uh, and on with the show. So welcome, Ben, to the Care Exchange
2: Hello, thank you very much for having me. Looking forward right. to
0: our we, chat. We wanted to have a chat to you because so many so many things to uh, to talk to you about. Um so yeah, thank you very much for joining us today. Um the first thing we really wanted to talk to you about was um so Good Oaks uh, home care it was the first UK carbon neutral home care company. Is that right?
2: Well, that's right. I think that's right. As far as I know, there (laughs) might be you know someone might want to get in touch with me. If not, but as far as I can tell, yes, definitely the first carbon neutral home care franchise. I'm pretty sure we're pretty sure we're up there in terms of the first ones. I don't know of anyone who beat us to it, but yeah,
0: yeah. And obviously, environmental sustainability may be more in people's minds now. Managers' mind, particularly because of the new CQC quality statement that's obviously sort of kind of coming in. So we just thought we wanted to find a little bit more about that. So obviously I know you did it a couple of years ago, didn't you? I don't know when you started the process.
2: That's right. We started, uh, 2018 actually was our first year we, right. we sort of became carbon neutral. Yeah.
0: And what did you, what did you have to do? What do you, how, how do you become carbon neutral? What does that mean?
2: Good question. So. Yes, yeah, so, so there's a few different sort of phases to it. So I think the first one is, you know, ev- everyone says, well, everyone says the old adage is you can't, um, what you can't measure, you can't, um, you can't manage. Yeah. So the first thing is to, to sort of measure what you're doing, and then work out how you can reduce your impact wherever you can. So reducing your carbon footprint and your emissions, and eliminating what what you can, and then what you're left with, then You can then offset that by investing in projects that take carbon out of the atmosphere, the equivalent amount of carbon out of the atmosphere. So whether that's sort of, we generally split our investments between local tree planting and like international investments in green projects. So maybe like a hydroelectric dam or solar panels or all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so we started 20. 18 and we really thought we were going to be just ahead of the curve really we, we sort of thought we might have a, a year or two where, where we were slightly ahead but people would catch up and actually interestingly we there's, there's still not many people talking about it in the care sector no. at the moment
1: no.
2: um maybe that's partly because of you know there's a lot of urgent things in the care sector every single day you know there's a lot of crises and i think often the urgent sort of shunts the important stuff out the way and you know that that meeting about becoming carbon neutral maybe gets kicked down the road because you know all the other things sort of um uh, come on top of it really so yeah so so we i think the first thing to to do is to really try and reduce what you're putting into the atmosphere um and then offsetting is is the sort of the next step to that really
1: so, how did you? How did you? You said you measured that. You started off by measuring it, and then looking at how to reduce it. What? What practically um, do you do differently to other home care organisations?
2: Yeah. So, actually, and probably you know, over the last since since we've started, I, I would imagine nearly every care company has a rostering software. You know, a, a care management software, and in that software, you can find so much data in terms of your, your carers travel data, for example, you know, how many miles they, they travel per per period. And one interesting metric to look at in the, in the home care space is to, you know, work out how many visits you did in a month and how many, how many miles your carers traveled in a month because yep. our, our rostering system is linked to Google maps and has all their routes and everything. So we can see exactly what that looks like. And that gives you a, um, Uh, you know, miles per visit metric, which you can then start to manage a little bit more because often, you know, coordinators is always going to be trying to make the most efficient routes possible, but it's not necessarily like a smart target. It's more of a general ambition as opposed to like something more, more concrete. So being able to say, you know, at the moment we're doing two and a half miles per visit. Can we reduce that down to two? And then, and then work from there really is, is one way of trying to reduce your footprint.
0: Okay. And what does the type of car that the person is driving?
2: That kind of thing,
0: does that, does that all affect it as well?
2: It does. Yeah. So obviously, I think probably the vast majority of carers on the roads are driving, you know, their own cars and generally they're going to be petrol, diesel cars, often yeah. maybe slightly older vehicles and, um, and the nature, like most, most care is, is probably in the community is, is done in some suburban or urban areas and there's a lot of start stop journeys, So the engines never get warm. And so that means they're less efficient and more polluting and everything. So it's definitely a huge sort of issue for the sector that no one talks about. You know, there are so many carers on the road every day that you, you, you don't see because they're just a the normal, normal yeah. cars. Um, so our next phase of our carbon journey is to, uh, we're getting uh car charging installed in our, at our offices and we've literally just, well, we're expecting it to be delivered soon, but it's a, um, yeah, we're, we're investing in a, a sort of pilot of a, it's, it's not technically an electric car cause it's too small to be a car. It's like a little, uh, it's technically a quadricycle that our, um, our, our our management team are going to use to get out and about and visit clients and do all the reviews and assessments that they need to do. Um, so we're going to trial that and see how it goes, whether that's going to be the way forward for us or not. I hope it is. They look great. They look like we, we test drove on and they're great fun to drive. Um, I was sort of so yeah, a milk that, float almost. <laughs> yeah, a little, little sort of little half go-kart, half milk float, if you can oh, imagine okay. it. Um, which I think could be a really, you know, I, I think more and more of those things will be coming onto the market. And I think there's going to be big, big improvements there. And I think we're very keen to to hopefully not have to offset anything eventually and just be able yeah. to, you know, power our carers through re- renewable energy. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely the next next step.
1: So I'm assuming you also, um, you know, promote walking and cycling amongst your carers. Um, Is this well received and how do you get your staff on board with this whole environmental um, sustainability aspect of their job?
2: It's a really good question. I think obviously active travel is really, really important. And I think it really varies depending on location. So some of our London offices... Our, our carers use Boris bikes to get around works brilliantly. Um, you know, cause it's much more densely, densely populated. The clients aren't so far away from each other where we are in in Bournemouth and Poole, very difficult to get around on bike because there's right. no, no bicycle lanes and, and you do have to come up with a solution that works all year round as well. So, yeah. you know, in the depths of winter, if someone's on a, on a scooter, it's quite can be quite tricky sometimes. So, yeah, I think carers often have more, more practical worries about their job in terms of, um, you know, stability of income, the support that they're getting from the office, um, the quality of the care they're pro- providing to the clients, and I think, just human nature. I think the, the the carbon neutral aspect can drop down that list of priorities sometimes. Yeah. Um so it's about trying to find something that that genuinely works for everyone and not sort of forcing your own sort of solution on people that might not be able to to sort of yeah go forward with that. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm guessing, though, that might be a real unique selling point for your organisation. Because one of the things that I talk to lots of managers about in recruitment is about how do you, you know, you're all in competition, not for work, but for um, employees, actually. And one of the things that we've got to be be a lot better about is about, well, what's the unique selling point of your organisation? And I'm guessing that there will be people out there who think, you know what, actually, one of the things that's really important to me is doing the right thing for the environment. And therefore actually the reason why I would choose Good Oaks as opposed to a- another organisation is because they share my values. And you know, this notion of value-based recruitment is something that Skills for Care talk a lot about, about people choose to work for organizations who hold the same values that they do. So you know I'm guessing that that it may, although it'd be very difficult to measure it may be something that that does inspire people to come and work for you because they feel this is an organization who holds dear the same sort of things that they do and
0: i suppose particularly younger people i know my my own teenagers they're very environmental aware you know much more than i was at that age you know so you can imagine that younger people would particularly go oh if i have to choose i would go Uh,
2: absolutely yes you're absolutely right i think it is much higher up people's, you know, awareness in the younger demographics. And I think, you know, if you're late eighties and you're, you're in hospital, having um, had a fall and you're looking to, to choose a care company, carbon neutrality might not be top of your agenda necessarily. Um, but I think for, for people who are looking to make a sort of more conscious decision about who they work, for and with, and you know, the impact that they have on the planet. I think, yeah, often, unfortunately we're still one of the only sort of options. If someone does want to do something that, that is less has less of a footprint than, than other sort of other jobs. Yeah. We are one of those, um, employers. I think it does, you know, the fact that we are a caring company means, you know, we're not just caring for our end users, our clients We're also caring for, um, for the wider community, like locally with our tree planting, but globally as well with, you know, yeah. we, we're all in it together really. So I think we all have to try and do our bit. And you're absolutely right. You know, we've even in the last five years that we've been carbon neutral, the interest in it every year is definitely more, I would say.
0: Yeah. And I suppose, um, I suppose your values are sort of everywhere, aren't they? You know, we we always say that with, with um value-based recruitment, we want to be, we would we would recommend to have value in every part of your organization. And if you're saying, well, my values are to be caring, I'm also caring for the planet kind of goes together, doesn't it really?
2: It does, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're all we, you know, we're generally caring for for the elderly generation, but there are you know, we also need to be caring and responsible for you know our care professionals generation and their kids generations yeah. as well because they're the ones who are going to be inheriting what we leave them and i think yeah it's, it's a it's definitely very you know top of mind um at the moment as you can just tell by the weather over the last you know a couple of years things yeah. are definitely you know changing and now's the time we I think we all need to start doing doing a little bit more yeah. potentially
1: I think what I like about how you've described it is you're really pragmatic about it as well because there'll be some managers sitting listening and thinking well it's all well and good you know but we live in a very rural area and it's not possible to have our staff you know out and about on bikes or walking because of the the, the geography and I think what you've described is you recognize that you know you're not you're not saying well actually we'll have our our workers cycling for miles on end because it's good for the environment when that's not practical in all weathers. And I think, you know, that that comes out as a really practical approach because I think sometimes it's easy to say, well, this doesn't work. There's not an easy solution to this for us, so we won't do it. Whereas what you've said is, well, actually there isn't an easy solution, but this is what we'll do to 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 make a difference. And I really like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing either. It can just be little baby steps to start with, you know. And often they're baby steps that are win wins all around, You know, reducing the miles that carers drive is great for the company because it reduces their their costs. It's great for the carer, obviously, and also really good for the planet. So yeah, yeah, that that's a quick win. You know, a lot of companies going paperless now, which obviously has huge advantages when it comes to the, the actual being able to monitor care more effectively, as well as you know less trees being chopped down. Yeah, and. Um, yeah. So this little, so it's a Citroen Ami, this little vehicle that we've got. And actually, if you're buying it uh, privately, you can get it for 19, 99 a month now, which is, you know, half the price of an iPhone for, yeah. for a little you know electric car. So I think these kind of things will completely change how we deliver, well, not completely change how we deliver care in the future, but I think we'll make it much, much easier for, for other companies to make that transition. Definitely. Yeah.
0: And in terms of that, um, the, the carbon, sh- a carbon, you can't offset. So you're talking about planting trees. How, how do you do that? Do you, you, know, I'm, I'm assuming you're not out there digging.
2: <laughs> planting the we're trees. Not, unfortunately. No, no, we're not. <laughs> no, so we work with a, um, a third party, like a creditor. So right. someone comes and basically, you know, make sure we're not marking our own homework. We definitely get someone who can, can properly robustly check what we're doing and make sure we haven't missed anything because. I think it's not, you know, that there is there is, you know, a case of there is greenwashing out there where people make claims that they probably can't necessarily back up. So yeah, we work with a company called Carbon Footprint, who there's a big project every every year in the summer. There's that's sort of getting bigger and bigger as we grow, that, that we, you know, collate all this data and send it all over. And then once it worked out our sort of tons of carbon that we've we've produced we then can work out how we're going to offset that
0: okay and in terms of sort of kind of the um the office and stuff so you talked a little bit about not using paper and stuff like that is there other things that um a home care organization could do uh, sort of kind of in the office to try and reduce
2: yeah i mean a really really quick easy win is just changing your energy supplier to a, a renewable one because That's if you're not in a serviced office, that that's generally something that you can, you can quickly do. Um, I think paper is a big one Uh, working from home. I think can potentially, depending on who else is in the office, I think either it can increase your carbon footprint or reduce it. You know, if you're heating an office and your home, that's probably increasing your carbon footprint a little bit. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean. It, it, it's interesting when you, before, before this, uh, before this podcast, I did a bit of Googling just to, just to have a look up for some stats about the home care, sort of carbon footprint. And there's nothing out there in terms of what, what, you know, the actual, as a sector, what we're producing. So we actually did some sort of, yeah, some calculations based on, on lots of different assumptions from different data sources. and And we think, just the workforce alone, the, the carbon footprint of the, just the home care sector is half a million tons of CO2 a year. And that's, you know, the equivalent to like 180,000 homes being heated every year, the extra, you know, so hmm. it's, it's a big, it's a big emitter. And, and yeah, I think there's little, little things that we talked about all definitely help chip away at that. Yeah. At time. And probably
0: that quality statement on a, you know, going to bring it in the forefront isn't it you know i'm sure most most people are probably doing something but actually having to start thinking about well how can i evidence what i'm doing and as you said earlier you may not do all of it at once you might just have a plan aren't you you might just say well this year we're gonna go paperless next year we'll do this but you know you could do you you don't have to kind of listen to this and think oh my god you know how am i gonna you know become carbon neutral in the next six months that you know you could kind of do it in the stages couldn't
2: you you can you can and actually yeah obviously the regulator is getting involved which is fantastic and actually one of our new franchise partners is is um applying for funding with a a bank that we haven't worked with before and now that now they're really asking lots of questions around our environmental sustainability plans and our, our green credentials which is great so i feel it feels like businesses are coming under more pressure from the consumers and the workforce but now also the regulator and funders and it's all sort of slowly joining together and i think hopefully that will start moving the needle
0: yeah really interesting um so just changing tack a bit so just uh, maybe just kind of going back in time a bit so obviously you we heard an introduction here that you started good oaks after you'd worked as a frontline worker was there sort of things that you'd sort of seen that you wanted to, to change or, or what, what was the sort of kind of thinking behind it?
2: Yes. So, um, yes, absolutely. So I, I really stumbled into the care sector, um, for lots of different jobs and, uh, care was the only one that got back to me. And, and, you know, the interview was, do you have a car? Do you have a criminal record? Uh, yes and no, or no and yes, whichever way around <laughs> it should be. Um, you know, and I said, you know, are, are there many other candidates for the role? Cause it's one of my first ever jobs. And she said, oh no, you've got the job, you know, you, you turned up, it's going to, you know, you're fine. You're, you're through watch this DVD um, and then off you go. And that company was a, a great example of how not to run a care company. Basically, you know, it's all the things you hear about. So you know, as a, as a carer, I would finish one visit at 9. AM and my next visit would start at 9. AM, but 10 miles down the road. I've got to try and work out how to do that and um yes i, I we basically we saw low we met loads of really caring people just not able to do a, a the the best job that they could do because they just weren't properly supported so we definitely saw a need for a quality care provider in the market or another quality care provider in the market and um we we knew that getting that the care professional support and, um, attracting, retaining those, you know, those people was absolutely what well, the only way to provide really great quality care really. So that's definitely, you know, the, the values-based recruitment that you talk about, because, you know, when clients talk about good Oaks and, and or, or their care provider, they're, they're not talking about the, the brochures or the website or the po- or whatever sort of policies. It's about that person going through their front door and actually really, really potentially transforming their lives and making such a big difference to, you know, their day to day. So that is completely at the heart of what, you know, having worked as a carer, that that was our ethos that we took into to sort of starting up Good Oaks.
1: And it's interesting that you talk about starting as a frontline carer and many managers that I speak to, both Pierre and myself, have both started in those frontline um, worker roles skills for care we talk a lot about that succession planning and how do you think it helped you having done that job before the role that you're now in?
2: Yeah, I think it gives you a real, like a deeper, very deep understanding of just how challenging and rewarding a care job can be. I think there is the yin and yang, you know, there are some um, amazing moments being a carer and some, some really like really uplifting stuff. And there's also some really challenging stuff that you probably wouldn't get working at Tesco. Um, So I think that it definitely builds empathy and um, and ability to, yeah, to sort of, to to, to see the bigger picture and, and to sort of see, you know, work out how things actually are on the ground as opposed to, It being a more of an abstract concept that happens away from the office you know yeah i think that definitely is one of the the most important bits for us
1: and i think sometimes we don't sell that frontline role as well as maybe maybe we could and i know certainly you know i sit here sometimes and i'm sure some of the managers listening to the podcast today will be sitting thinking you know what i really miss that frontline work because I miss the chats and the laughs. And yes, there was hard days and difficult days, but there's as many good days as there is bad days as well. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's a bit about social care that we we forget about and we lose amongst all the very real challenges that we do have with, with care and, and how it works and, and all the challenges that we've got. But that bit about how it feels to go in and make a difference to somebody's world, yeah. Is something that I think we don't we don't shout about enough
2: in social care. You're, you're right. You know, if you were choosing what sector to come and work in just based on news stories and you know what what you read about in the papers, you you wouldn't choose the care sector at the moment. It's it's all feels very very grim and a bit you know a bit depressing sometimes when you when you read the, the news stories. I think obviously you know bad news sells, and a lot of it is you know lobbying for more resources and there's a lot of people you know saying how how overstretched they are which which you know absolutely is the case but yeah you definitely i think that positivity and yeah shouting about all the all the amazing things that you can do as as a as a carer and also all the other you know doors that uh you know a career in care can open definitely isn't something that is talked about enough in a more in a you know, I think because the sector is so fragmented and so so many little voices, I think it is quite hard to to get one like cogent message out there because I think lots of people are, are, are shouting. It's quite hard to get through the noise to actually work out what it's really like Yeah. sometimes. And
0: it's so, so with that experience and, I, you know, I think it's really great that you're you sort of kind of using that experience as, as you've moved, as you as developed, uh, Good Oaks and you've obviously got the franchise as well. Do you, when you are recruiting and when you're advising the managers of the franchise recruitment, is that, that kind of experience that sort, of, sort of still, still sitting as a bit of a backpack for you?
2: It is hundred percent, you know? Yeah, definitely. So we, um, we recently did some, uh, international recruitment we uh, a few of a few of us went to zimbabwe to, to recruit and yeah i definitely used some of the experiences that i had um as some scenarios for these some group discussion and assessment days that we were doing so you know what would people do if you know so we, we would present a scenario where Uh, They're looking after someone who has a memory impairment and they're very upset because their wife hasn't come home from work yet, but their wife actually passed away a few years ago. Mm. How do you deal with that situation, you know, and being able to really dig deep into that and say, well, but what about this? And and I think having experienced it, you you sort of do get a real sense of whether someone is going to be a good fit and can, you know, a lot of people can say, what they think they want you to hear. But when you, when you present some sort of situations, it, it it does. Yeah. That, that sort of the values come through, I think a little bit more. So yeah, it has been helpful in that regard for sure.
0: And how did you find that international recruitment? So obviously that's, I think a hot topic in social care is international recruitment.
2: <laughs> it, yes, it is. Um, yes, it has been uh, great. I guess my, my sort of takeaways are that it definitely can't and shouldn't replace local recruitment. I think a lot of people see it as the easy, easy option and say, oh, it's all very difficult to compete for, for workers. We're not going to try and think about how we can improve conditions and, and talk about all the great things that we do. We'll just bring people in from a different country. Um, but I think you really do need to focus on building that employer brand locally and actually putting in that, putting in the effort to, you know, making people care about you as an employer and want to work for you because there are lots of people out there that are very caring and, you know, would love to do it, but you need to, yeah, you need to work hard to, to make it something that, you know, they want, you know, that attracts them, but then also retains them as well. Um, I would say, One interesting aspect is, is really different uh, power dynamic. I'd say between when you're recruiting local, uh, you know, locally in your local area, generally the, the applicant has, has all the power really, because they, a good carer can walk into any care company and get a job really. So you're, you know, the ball is in their court and almost now it's, you know, what can you offer me as a, you know, as a worker, what what does, you know, what does the training look like? What does the support look like? Absolutely rightly. They should be asking those things. And, um, it's very different when you recruit internationally. I think, you know, people are, you know, trying to make a better life for themselves and their family and often are potentially leaving quite difficult economic situations. And I think, There is a vulnerability with that that you have to really be careful and really you know the the power dynamic is almost the other way really so i think it's so important if you are going to do international recruitment is to do it right it's very easy to to not get it right and for it to not not be a sort of yeah a, a great experience for everyone as it could be potentially
1: and from your experience, is there anything that you could say this is this is what's helpful about helping people to settle in a new area and feel part of a team?
2: and Yes, um, we did a big piece of work on on the sort of pastoral care element when, when someone's coming over. so you know we we always, you know, we've heard horror stories of of people being picked up from the airport and just driven straight to their first clients, (laughs) which is obviously just an absolutely woeful experience for everyone. Um, so we really carefully planned their first two weeks in the UK, basically where they they weren't with a client for the first couple of weeks, they were doing an extended induction period. They, um, Yeah, we, we picked them up personally from the airport, um, and, and took them back to the accommodation, which was near the office. We provided obviously all their meals. We, we took them shopping because obviously, so we, we recruited from Zimbabwe. Um, and our first group arrived in January for guys in the UK, which is pretty, pretty grim. So we took them shopping for extra coats, um, and yeah, you really have to, you know, sit with them and and everything is is new to them so setting up bank accounts and national insurance numbers and sorting out you know where the local supermarkets are and where the where the shops are and all that kind of stuff um really important i think getting used to british food (laughs) is tricky for them i think because you know Getting
1: yeah, used but, to British food in terms of eating it themselves, but I'm guessing also cooking it cooking, and preparing yeah, just, it for their for their for the people that you provide care and support yeah, to. I was just thinking the
2: same. Exactly right. So yeah, when we were in Zimbabwe, that's one of the things that we were really anxious about was because we were recruiting people to, to work in as live-in care professionals. So they move in with a client for a few weeks at a time and look after them. And a big part of that role is cooking really nice, healthy home-cooked meals. So yeah, we, we part of the assessment day was getting them to cook shepherd's pies and you know, all those traditional English foods to see how they got on. Um, which was eye-opening for everyone. I think them, them <laughs> and that, um, Great and idea. Even, I
0: love it. Yeah.
2: yeah, absolutely. And when they came to the UK again, we, we actually gave them a, a recipe book and spent time with them outside the office, you know, we say, Oh, t- tonight we're all going to, um, cook together and eat together. And it's going to be, um, toad in the hole or, or whatever it might be just to get them, you know, used to doing the whole process from going to the super, going to Tesco, doing the shop, coming back. And, um, yeah, I, I think that, that really helps and actually, um, yeah, I, and sometimes I think clients quite like trying different things as well. You know, I think yeah. if you get that, if you get that sort of matching process right, it can be really interesting for everyone. Yeah.
1: These That's are the right. sorts of things I think for some organizations embarking on international recruitment, you just don't think, you just, you can't predict some of these challenges until you, until you start, can you? You know, again, I've, you know, had some of those horror stories where you know, people have, have been offering people fish curry for their breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning. And whilst if the customer wants fish curry for breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning, that's absolutely fine. But I think some of them were rather surprised when <laughs> usually they have when usually they have cornflakes and their new um their new worker is, is suggesting you know, curry curry at seven o'clock in the morning for their breakfast. It it, it was just, you know, again, these are the, the things that you don't think about maybe needing to prepare international recruits for. Um Absolutely, yes. you know, in a way that you wouldn't do if if that's somebody you've recruited from two miles down the road who's who's always lived in that that area. Yeah.
2: A hundred percent. That's that's exactly right. Yeah.
1: It sounded like you have a had a really you really
0: thought about, you know, try to, what was the things that you thought afterwards? Actually, we're going to change that for the next, for the next kind of, I'm assuming you're going to have them sort of arriving in, in stages. What, what sort yes, of things did so you exactly, learn? Yeah. What was sort of mistakes made or just things that you thought, we haven't really thought about that?
2: I think it was really helpful for our team to actually go to Zimbabwe and see the country, you know, what the country's like that they were coming to, yeah. uh, coming from, because, you know, to start with when we were sort of, um, brainstorming what we needed to include in all this, we were, you know, there was some discussion as to do they have supermarkets out there and they hundred percent do. (laughs) And it's just really, you know, very much like our supermarket. So, um, I think going out there was really interesting to, to work out what we need to spend more time on and what we need to spend less time on. Um, Yeah. yeah, it's definitely evolved and actually now we have got more of a, a cohort. So we've got, we, we try and bring them over in small groups of, of, sort of three at a time. And um, we always introduce them before so that they're in a little WhatsApp group before they come over so they can get to know each other and discuss what they're packing and, and sort of, yeah, get to know each other. Um, but now some of our initial uh, people who came over are now part of their induction. So, the first day they spend with someone who was one of the first people we brought over, who then shows them the ropes and actually tells them, "I think it's much easier for her to to tell them what it's like uh, than it is for us because you know, I think we can't see the wood for the trees. you know what what's weird about English people and food and and life because we are English people, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely a, a useful addition to our training. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Um, you have about just asking something about your franchises. I was really interested in that, that journey you kind of went on. So you kind of had your own and most people are quite happy with that. You decided to do sort of kind of having starting and How many have you got now? Yes.
2: Yeah, so we've probably got around, we got 17 at the moment, another, another sort of few in the pipeline. So. Um, yes, hopefully some 20 ish, um, by the summer, hopefully we'll we'll see how it goes. So yeah, no, it's, it's, um, um, been really, really a a good experience actually. And I think we really, the franchise model really works well for us and it works well for the sector because it's such a regulated sector. I think there are lots of really caring people who would love to start a care business, but are so daunted by all the regulations and CQC and even just getting through the application processes to to start a company. Um, So I think the sector really lends itself to franchising, Um, but I think our approach throughout our whole company, we have what we call a sort of partnership approach where, it's how we how we sort of interact with our clients and their families we try not to focus just solely on the end user we we try not to get completely fixated on that end user but also be the sort of proactive partners for the the support network that are keeping that end user in in their home because often they can't be at home without that support network around them whether it's family or friends or you know other health uh, other professionals so that partnership approach sort of extends to how we do how we interact with our franchise partners we it's quite a collaborative thing so you know a lot of our partners have had care management experience before so what the support that they need is quite different from from someone coming into the sector from a completely different sector um the support looks really different depending on who we're who we're working with but it's that collaborative approach really definitely does lend itself well and yeah, it's going well at the moment.
1: Excellent. Mm, yeah. yeah. So, we we always have our time for care slot in every episode. And I would imagine, um, with what you've just described, uh, your organisational and, and time saving tips going to be a good one. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> no that pressure. sounds, no pressure, but that sounds like <laughs> you've got a lot on your plate. Um, what's your most time saving tip that you could share with the podcast listeners?
2: oh I've got, a, I've got a good question because i've heard you um, I, I listen to your podcast a lot so I, I, I was expecting this question so i've got a short-term one and a long-term one um very quickly the short term one is just pick up the phone and talk to people rather than getting into lengthy lengthy email exchanges often it's so much easier to just the short circuit something and just whether it's a complaint or a particular issue you need to deal with just picking up that phone rather than waiting for a you know lengthy reply That's, that's the short-term one. I think long-term what I try and, you know, save time with is by actually investing a bit more time initially in, in getting your team up to speed with sort of coaching and mentoring and, and really empowering them to, to take some stuff off your, your plate. Um, And then, you know, I think registered managers often do for for really good reason hold on to a lot of that responsibility because it is you know they are legally responsible and i think that can be absolutely overwhelming a lot of the time so if you can empower your team to do some of the some of your jobs for you um that that can definitely help and i think that also really helps develop their careers as well but hopefully frees you up to do a little bit more of the you know steering of the ship rather than frantically shuffling the coal or whatever they use to power ships these days. But no, that that kind of approach I'd say is, is my tip.
1: Yeah. I really like both of those, particularly your first one about picking up the phone, because I think over the years I've worked for lots of organisations where sending an email has been the norm and you get into that situation where you're emailing people in the same building or in the same office even. And I think over the years I've frightened lots of people by just turning up at the edge of their desk to say, here I am, let's have a conversation. And, and you know, it, it can be such a, a a more helpful way of of you know solving a problem or or getting an answer or so i absolutely love that one
2: absolutely Um, we've seen it countless times where you know a a little complaint has come in or something and we just immediately pick up the phone and often you can completely turn it around and um yeah not get into that lengthy you know keyboard warrior kind of war and peace style correspondence and, and just yeah it's that human touch isn't it and just actually yeah, talking to people properly, yeah. yeah Definitely. I
0: like that
1: tip. And our final question, and again, if you're a, um, a, a regular podcast listener, you might have been expecting this one too. Um, imagine we're in a lift on the 10th floor going down with a group of registered managers. And before we get out, you want to tell them what you think is the most important. So what's your key message that you want to leave with those registered managers?
2: I was expecting this question as well, yes. And actually... I sort of cheated and asked our registered manager, uh, Rachel, what, what she, what her thoughts were on this. And actually. So she emphatically said, don't stay in a job where you don't feel valued was, was her big key message. She actually resigned yesterday. No, she didn't really. Uh, dear. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I really do. I actually really agree. I think, I think yeah, me too. registered managers can have such a sense of responsibility for their clients and even sometimes even more so for their staff. Um, and often they really put that those guys ahead of themselves and their own like um, well-being and job satisfaction and, and just sort of general happiness. So I would definitely say there's just so many opportunities for, for registered managers out there. There's so many good employers and there's, you know, a huge opportunity to go out and maybe create something of their own in the care sector. So yeah, what if you are in a job where you, you're really not, not feeling that sense of, you know, that you are a, a big part of the team and that you are, you are feeling really valued and, um, looked after I would try and do something
0: about it yeah. yeah i think that's amazing advice and i would just add one thing to that if you do leave because you didn't feel valued please tell your employer that that's why you're leaving because they're never going to learn they're just going to you know i was talking to a provider not long ago who was saying oh you know I've had four registered managers in the last year and was kind of saying oh you know that this person didn't do this and it's and i was kind of thinking that there must be something else going going on but nobody said and i think it's just really important if you are and and i know that can be scary because people worry about references and all that kind of thing but have a way of sort of saying afterwards even if it's once you left and you can say it nicely you don't have to be horrible about you could just say well the the reason i left was because i didn't feel valued Uh, i think that's a really really good good bit of uh, advice i love
2: it absolutely and i think it's better You know, for that employer in the long run as well, knowing that because otherwise, you know, they go through life wondering why they're getting going through six registered managers a year um, and blaming everyone but themselves. So yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
0: You know, and sometimes things just doesn't work out, and that happens. That doesn't mean that it's, you know. But I think, um, you know, if, if you're having a, a regular turn, you need to think what is going. But there must be something else going on. Absolutely fascinating, Ben. I've I've loved our conversation. So, but thank you so much for your time today. It's been brilliant. Thanks very much. It's
2: thank been you. a genuine pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Take care. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.
1: So, wendy what do you think of 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 conversation with ben that was just so interesting wasn't it he had so much so many things to talk about that were different to you know all, some of the conversations we've had with other providers so yeah. really interesting
0: yeah that environmental sustainability it's a it's a topic that that's going to grow i can only see it growing you know i am sure that this is going to be something that we're going to be talking more and more about because it's you know as as he was talking about it's kind of coming from all angles, isn't it? Suddenly people are, you know, CQC are asking about it. You're probably going to start getting other commissioners, insurance, all those kind of things they are probably going to start asking. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Isn't
1: it? Yeah, and I think the point he made about younger people as well. You know, it's this is an issue that's up there in priority for a lot of younger people, maybe who could be our workforce of the future. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely, um, and obviously, as I mentioned when we were chatting to Ben, um, CQC's quality statement um, when when that starts does have that environmental sustainability. Um, we very recently recorded a webinar on those new quality statement. What is one of the register manager webinars? And um, we did it in the in partnership with uh, the Outstanding Society. Um, and we had, um, somebody on the webinar, a, a provider talking about her plans, what she was doing in terms of environmental sustainability. So really interesting to, to, to listen to both Ben and, 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 um, that webinar to sort of kind of think, well, what are the things I can do? And with that, uh, we provided a, um, complimentary recommendation checklist on environmental sustainability and, and it just gives you some suggestions about if you're a care home, um, if you're, you know, a home care. What some, what are the things you want might want to start thinking about in terms of 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 meeting that and providing evidence, um, and just to say, so on the um, on the webinar. The register manager webinar on the CQC changes. There are the two, there's two complementary checklists. So one on environmental sustainability and one on workforce and quality, diversity and inclusion. But we have actually uh, created recommendation checklists for all the new quality statements. Um, If you are a register manager member, um, you can access them on our portal. Um, And just a reminder the membership is £35 a year. What was the other thing that really stood out for you, Wendy?
1: I was really interested in what he had to say about international recruitment because international recruitment is such a hot topic in social care at the the moment. And obviously, you know, I, I really liked what he was saying about social care providers not seeing international recruitment as being the only answer this is one option but you should also build your um, recruitment in your local area as well Um, but in terms of international recruitment obviously we've got a load of resources on the skills for care website which are both for those organizations who are already doing some of that international recruitment as checklists and guidance, but there's also support on there for people who are just exploring the idea or thinking about this as an option. So we've got resources like help sheets around becoming a visa sponsor for adult social care providers. We've got information on there around safer recruitment and the, um, the bite size guide to overseas recruitment. But I think we've also got information on there, including, including blogs about how to support people. And that was very much one of the, the things yeah. that he talked about, about how to provide that pastoral support when people are coming the UK from another yeah. country and I think it is about learning from people like Ben like learning from the resources on the Skills for Care website you know to try and make this as as positive an experience for everybody as it possibly can be so I was really interested in what he had to say and and his views on how that's gone and and is he's what he's planning to learn from that going forward.
0: Yeah I really like the fact that he got that the original people that came over to be part of the induction you know because they are going to be able to have that first-hand experience and be able to share their their learning isn't it you know i thought that was really you know how empowering for that for the first few people that arrived to then now be part of the induction to to train the next to train the next uh, cohort
1: and right I like the fact that he talked about learning more about the country from yeah. where people were coming, yeah. because, you know, how can we how can we work out what people don't know if we don't understand the, the, the country and the culture that they've come from? And actually, yeah. how much easier is it to help somebody settle into in, into our area and into our service if we've got a good understanding of what, you yeah. know, what their world looked like before they came before they yeah, came absolutely. to the UK to work,
0: yeah. And even if you don't have um, the opportunity to go, you know, there's other ways of finding out about that country. You know, try and connecting with local people. They, you know, if there's a society from that from that area, just so so you have some understanding of that culture, um, and how important does would that person feel coming to you if you've actually taken your time to to learn about their country? You know, great. Yeah, good idea. Right. So hope you have uh, enjoyed this episode thank you very much for listening um any all our resources we've spoken about will be in the show notes and and um there'll be link there'll be links to the resources that we're talking about hope you've enjoyed today uh thanks very much bye thank you Bye.